Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Today I have Svetlana Folumanova. She's an associate professor in the Department of Plant Pathology at the University of Florida, UFL. And we're going to talk about uh, some of her work. So Svetlana, thanks for coming. Uh, Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, tell me about your research. What are you focusing on in the plant world? Well, my background is plant virology, and um, I'm working essentially with plant viruses. And uh, for a number of several years, I have been working with uh, one of the probably most interesting or exciting plant viruses, and uh, this virus is Citrus tristeza virus. Oh, what, so, what, is the, um, what, what kind of plants does the virus affect? Like citrus plants, or is it just the name of citrus in it? Yes. No, essentially the host range of this virus is relatively narrow. Uh, the host range uh, of this virus essentially limited to citrus plants and citrus relatives, but there are several varieties of citrus plants, and this virus infects uh, some of them with maybe a little bit different disease outcomes. So uh, in some varieties, there are no essential disease. In some, uh, the virus could produce very mild symptoms. And uh, in some situations with some varieties and also with some virus isolates, virus can essentially kill and pretty fast one of the trees, for example, some of the trees, some of the infected trees. So why are you interested in this virus in particular? Well, first of all, uh, citrus tristeza virus is the most destructive virus of citrus plants. So, for instance, during the last century, this virus killed over hundreds of million trees uh, worldwide. And uh, it still represents um, a pretty serious problem, agricultural problem in some regions uh, in the world. For instance, in Asia, in uh, South America, in South Africa. So some uh, endemic virus isolates that are spread in those regions, they're pretty aggressive and they cause quite severe disease that essentially limits uh, citrus production in, in those areas. So what's interesting and unique about this virus? Well, in addition to its uh, agricultural importance, uh, this virus is very interesting from fundamental standpoint. So, for instance, uh, citrus tristeza virus is essentially among RNA viruses, among the largest RNA viruses. So, uh, and if we talk about plant viruses, plant RNA viruses, yes, that this virus essentially is the largest a non-segmented virus with essentially non-segmented RNA genome, so among plant viruses. So the size what? of the genome is about 20,000 nucleotides, so which could be compared actually to some coronaviruses. So coronaviruses 
So, for instance, this coronavirus that now everybody is worried about, uh, the genome size of this coronavirus is about 30,000 uh, nucleotides. And uh, uh, our virus, it's a little bit shorter. It's 20,000 nucleotides, but still even 20,000 nucleotides, it's about twice bigger than the average size of an RNA virus. Does that, does that mean in its uh, capsid or nuclear envelope that the virus is physically bigger or is it still, you know, on the order of like 50 to 100 nanometers? Uh, so our virus, uh, citrus tristeza virus, has a little bit different shape. It's not, uh, you know, first of all, uh, like many plant viruses, it doesn't have additional membrane or additional envelope, yes? So it's essentially uh, represented by RNA genome packed into a capsid that is built essentially by two code proteins, but there are no additional membranes. And the shape of this virus, it's not icosahedral, like some many also animal viruses, for instance. So uh, this the shape of this virus is represented uh, by a long, flexious particle. So the size of this uh, particle, it's like essentially, it's, it's kind of like a flexious rod or flexious thread. So it's quite long. So the length of this particle is about actually 2,000 nanometers, but it's very narrow. Oh, you said it. How long is it? Uh, 2,000 nanometers, but it's not around, it's not icosahedral, yes? It's just like a long, flexious rod. So it's very narrow, but it's long, yes, like a thread. When you say narrow, how narrow? I think it's about probably uh, 10 nanometers. That's super, it's like a needle in a way, you know? Yes, it's kind of like a needle, yes, but it's flexious. Does it have any, like... Turgidity? Is it? Does it stay? I mean, does it tend to like roll up in a circle, or does it tend to stay loosely straight? Well, you know, it's not rigid. For example, like tobacco mosaic virus particle, it's like a rigid rod. Yes. No, this citrus tristeza virus, it's kind of like a flexious thread. So it kind of bends a little bit. It's essentially kind of spread, still stretched. I would just say. Okay. And how does it enter uh, plant cells? I guess with a plant cell wall, I thought usually biting insects, you know, uh, or mm-hmm. they'll poke their way into the cells. So how do citrus plants get infected? So uh, citrus tristeza virus is transmitted by small insect aphids. So essentially aphid, when aphids uh, feed on the citrus tissue, so they usually feed uh, on the phloem which transports carbohydrates, yes, throughout the plant. So essentially, aphids, when they feed in the phloem, so for example, if they feed in the phloem of the infected plants, then they pick up a virus. And then when they fly and move to another, like healthy, for example, trees, then they transport the virus to healthy trees. And this is how virus transmission from a tree to tree occurs. So it's essentially, it's mediated by uh, insects, by aphids. Is there any ant interaction? Because we're dealing with aphids. I heard ants like to, you know, collect aphids and farm them and, you know, have relationships with them. So do do ants come into the picture? Well, maybe not. Uh, I don't think that these interactions would be somewhat specific for the virus transmission. 
Yeah, I just didn't know if there's any ants that, you know, like what kind of aphids spread this particular virus? Is it just one kind of aphid or multiple kinds? Do you know much about the aphid side of it? Yeah, you know, there are different species uh, of aphids, and some of them, uh, for example, Toxoptera citricida, it's very effective vector, so it's very effectively transmits the virus with high efficiency of the transmission. And there are some other aphids, like aphids, gossypii, it's a much less effective vector. So in those, for example, regions where this taxoptera aphid is present, yes, then um, it's quite... So, so the spread of the virus, if virus gets into those areas, then the spread of the virus in those throughout the area would be very efficient and very quick, essentially. So I believe you said it was a segmented RNA virus. Like, what's the structure of no. the nucleotides? Or no, no, it's non-segmented. Yes. So essentially, the genome is represented just by one RNA molecule. Uh, some viruses they may have several segments. Yes, for example, from two to seven or even eight. But citrus tristeza virus just have one RNA molecule. It's long. Again, it's almost one thousand nucleotides but it's just one molecule. So how is it transmitted? The, the aphid, what point, like it pokes its proboscis into the plant and, you know, some cell walls get damaged and then uh, does this yes. virus get injected when the, yes. the aphid is like regurgitating or sucking material up or what happens? Yes, exactly. So essentially aphids, then they have this stylet that then stylet penetrates inside the cell and essentially aphids, they feed by essentially sucking this phloem juice, which contains carbohydrates and some other uh, nutritional juices. And essentially the uh, transmission, acquisition of the virus, yes, and also transmission kind of uploading uh, at an, or within another tree or another area occurs during the feeding. And this way, essentially, virus gets into the tree. And then virus essentially, uh, once the virus uh, gets into a plant cell, then uh, it starts um, unholding and then it replicates its genome. It also produces its own proteins and then new progeny genomes plus uh, all these uh, viral proteins, then they essentially uh, mediate the process of replication and then uh, new virus particles get assembled and then virus kind of takes over uh, on its own. It now is able to spread throughout the whole tree and probably know that viruses, plant viruses, uh, spread uh, from cell to cell uh, through this channels inside the cell walls, uh, so-called plasmodesmata, and viruses quite often, plant viruses quite often encode specific proteins that are called movement proteins, and these movement proteins essentially mediate this transportation uh, of the virus from initially infected cells to the adjacent neighboring cells through this plasmodesmata. And quite often, virus movement proteins interact with host proteins. Sometimes, for example, uh, what they do, one of the mechanisms is uh, that virus proteins, they enlarge the size, kind of dilate plasmodesmata openings, uh, which allows the virus particle uh, to go through and essentially reach to the neighboring cell. And 
at some point, uh, then viruses get to the phloem, and also phloem is used as some sort of like highway for the viruses to spread out from initially infected areas in a plant to distant parts of the plant. So our virus actually all the time pretty much stays in the phloem because aphids insert the virus into the phloem cells and then virus replicates in these cells and then it's essentially moves further using again phloem cells and is transported to the more distant parts, for example, to young growth. Okay, on electron micrograph, what does it look like? Have you seen, I mean, since, since these are very long and filamentous, yeah. I would think that part of it sticks in the cell and part of it's hanging outside the cell. But how does it get its way all the way in and does it? And again, does it curl up in a circle or no. does it just hang off the cell? Like part of no. it sticks in and part of it's hanging out? No, I think that uh, we really don't know. Yes, but we would assume that there is some kind of mechanism that sort of like aligns this, you know, long flexious thread from, say, for example, head to toe, it's kind of aligns at these plasmodesmata openings and allow this long particle to kind of move through. So you don't have a, hasn't anyone done electron microscopy to look uh, and catch it in the act, you know, halfway in, halfway out? Yeah, these um, images, electron microscopy images actually were uh, taken long time back, maybe even, you know, in the middle of 60s or 70s. So, yes. Are they expensive to get done? I mean, are there any recent ones? And maybe you could do some at, at various points where you can catch some of them at intermediate stages entering and that might give you some information on their method of action. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's known that, uh, and again, you know, people already visualized uh, how the virus particle passes through this plasmodesmata opening. So essentially, the fact that the virus moves as a video, yes, as a virus particle through this plasmodesmata, it's, um, it's known, but we still, the process of how it occurs and, you know, exactly what viral proteins and what host proteins interact during this process, it's still not fully understood. Well, okay, so I guess it answers the cell. Is, is there a head and a tail or are both ends serviceable as the head or the tail? Or does it, does it look different on one end versus the other? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. It, yes, actually, there is some difference. And a long time back, cluster virus, uh, kind of architecture of cluster virus particles, got the name of a rattlesnake structure. And why it is uh, called rattlesnake structure? Because, again, you know, the virion is long, but uh, some portion of this virion is probably about 5% of genomic RNA is actually at the 5 prime end of the genomic RNA. Uh, it's covered with a so-called minor code protein. So essentially two major code proteins build this video. Yes, so major code protein that covers approximately 95% of the genome. Yes, and this minor code protein that covers this 5% at this uh, five prime end area of the genomic RNA. So it's, it's a little bit different, yes. 
So it kind of has a tail, yes, that is built, uh, not, not tail, it kind of has a head, yes, that is built by this minor code. So it enters with its head? That's actually a hypothesis, yes, that uh, this area, yes, also there are some additional viral proteins are sitting in that area, but they are sitting in some kind of minor quantities. And there is a hypothesis that this end of the virion maybe serves sort of like a motor, yes, that mediates uh, the translocation of this virus particle through this uh, channel. I mean, if an aphid, you know, I'm, I'm picturing like myself to be really small, like this gigantic aphid proboscis pokes its way and, you know, kind of pokes open a few different cells and then stuff comes out of it and stuff goes into it. But I would picture like, you know, the entry is assisted by the cell wall breaking. So, I mean, the, I don't know, the virus, I would think would have maybe a seeking type of behavior. It would be sensing that now it's, it, you know, adjacent to or kind of in the mix of a cell that's, you know, that's blown open a little bit. And it would, does it go towards the nucleus in the cell? Like, how does it uh, navigate? Does it navigate? Oh, no. This virus, like many, most probably RNA viruses, it uh, stays in the cytoplasm. Yes, because it replicates in cytoplasm, translates its own proteins in the cytoplasm, it gets assembled in the cytoplasm. But also, viruses, uh, they are not just, you know, kind of, replicating, for example, freely in the cytoplasm. Yes, you probably heard from maybe some other virologists that many viruses are known to uh, produce so-called replication bodies or viroplasm. It's some kind of membrane structures that essentially viruses induce uh, production of additional membrane structures. Uh, Sometimes they're called vesicles, yes, and these vesicles, they are used as some kind of sites, virus replication, because one of the kind of meaning for virus to replicate inside these vesicles, because uh, virus uh, RNA gets protected uh, from uh, cellular RNAs by kind of uh, hiding in this, inside these membrane vesicles, but it doesn't go to nuclear. Yeah. Well, again, if it's a uh... If the cell wall is, is a hole in it, and the virus gets in that way, yes, exactly. It's not just gonna. It's not just gonna sit where it's where it lands. I would no. think it would migrate to a preferential spot in the cytoplasm. You know, near chloroplasts, near other uh, structures. You know, I mean, in human cells, I would guess they would hang out near ribosomes or there's various organelles in plants too. I mean, it would. I would have to think it preferentially goes somewhere once it's yeah. in the cytoplasm. I mean, you're correct. So when aphid inserts the virus into into the cell, essentially this kind of insertion occurs uh, with the penetration. Yes, with kind of the aphid style that pokes the cell and and the aphid releases uh, the virus inside the cell. And then first step would be for the virus to uncoat, to essentially expose its uh, RNA genome because citrus tristeza virus is a positive sense RNA virus. This RNA can be immediately translated and then first RNA-dependent RNA viral RNA polymerase gets translated, gets produced, and then virus starts replicating. It produces additional proteins, and this uh, replication uh, occurs inside these membrane vesicles that the virus essentially induces. The virus induces its formation. Also, once it packages new virions inside of a cell, I mean, again, where do they hang out? These are really long filaments. 
So I would think they're not going to be straight inside of a cell. They're going to be maybe curled up or in some sort of like, I don't know, amalgamation. Do they get tangled? Has anyone looked at that? You know, how do they break out? What does that formation look like? You, you know, it's actually quite amazing on the electron micrographs. You can see uh, that virions form very kind of neat and proper arrangements. They almost, these arrangements uh, look almost like some kind of crystals when as virus particles kind of align, almost, I would say, almost align one next to each other in some kind of very neat and proper order. They don't really uh, make some kind of chaotic mass, but quite often they almost uh, aligned, you know, uh, one next to each other. But again, there are some different um, kind of areas how they accumulate and how they arrange, and it depends on where whether they're accumulating immediately next to the point when they got assembled or it's a little bit, maybe they already start uh, moving towards this, you know, cellular periphery, uh, kind of looking for this plasmatis matter openings. So it could be... Well, okay, so how do they come out of a plant cell? Has the plant cell healed its wall by this time? So they come out through preferential pores or opening in the cell wall or... I would think the, the plant would have to heal the cell wall. Otherwise, the cytoplasm would just leak out, leak out, and then the environment in which the, uh, the virus would replicate is now ruined and the cell's dead. Uh, yeah, well, uh, well, first of all, you know, plant cells, they're very protected. It's not just only membrane surrounds. Yes, it's also the cell wall. And even probably some kind of, you know, small hole that is made by the aphid style, it may not be actually even, you know, so, so dramatic. But again, you know, viruses... Essentially, once they get into this first cell, so they can also, this virus particle, if it finds the right connection between, you know, to the next cell through plasma desmata, yes, uh, so it can actually get into the neighboring cell almost immediately. So viruses in inside the plant, yes, viruses, plant viruses, they travel between cells through these openings uh, in the cell wall, uh, plasmatis matis. And at some point, uh, then, for example, uh, the virus again could be picked up by another aphid that would be feeding in that cell where viruses, for example, replicating in the sample. So plasmatis matis. What, uh, what do these look like? Are they just round openings in the cells, or what, what do they look like? And uh, can the virus easily go, I guess, adjacent from cell to cell using these structures? Or Yes, so essentially, plasmodesmatis, these are channels, um, kind of openings in the cell walls. And there is also some kind of membranous system, specifically endoplasmic reticulum, is kind of uh, also lying, forming some kind of inner lining inside this plasma desmata, and essentially this endoplasmic reticulum in one cell is connected to the endoplasmic reticulum in the neighboring cell. So Yeah, I can see on Google they have like desmotubules that seem to yeah. go through these yeah. so, so plasma cells, We can just say that all cells in the plant are kind of connected to each other. So that's, it's funny, that's why these viruses are probably shaped like this, so they can do that. If they weren't, they would 
they couldn't go through those channels. They would get stopped up and plugged up, you know. Uh, some viruses, yes, plant viruses, uh, do not have this elongated shape. Yes, they all, they just have a kind of classical icosahedral, so they're, you know, more um, kind of round, more symmetrical, so some kind of icosahedral form. How wide is the aperture of the uh, plasma desmatos, typically? Well, I, I mean, it's big enough to accommodate these guys going through, but... You know, not actually really. So what is actually quite interesting that in most cases, the size of plasmodesmatus is not enough for just a normal plant virus to go through. But it's a typical property that plant viruses do something uh, with this plasmodesmatus. So quite often... Uh, they uh, have, again, you know, going back to these movement proteins, yes, so they uh, produce these movement proteins that dilate in large plasma desmatis. In some cases, they also uh, do something with this inner structure of plasma desmatis that you just said, desmotubal, yes, so the uh, plant viruses some kind of reform this inside structure of plasma desmatis so they essentially remove this desmotubal and they quite often put their own filaments or their own tubules uh, that allow the virus to pass through. I don't understand what you said. What do you mean? The, the virus will shed some of its structure in order to get through the plasma desmata? Or, no, I mean, no. this one seems like it can go through on its own, but how do they get through the ones that are too big? Yeah, no, not its own, but it changes the structure of plasma desmata. So it removes some of the components of the structure inside the plasma desmata kind of clears the way for its own to, for the virus particle to move. So they reconstruct, re, essentially restructure the inside part of this plasma desmatis. Because well, I they, think normally the, uh, the plant cells, yeah. the plant cells govern the size of the aperture and, you know, the, it, it also acts like a filter. Mm-hmm. So, are you saying that plants govern the the aperture and the the type of filter that constitutes the plasmodesmata to to gate or to control the flow of substances between cells normally? Yes, I mean plants. Of course, plants. There is some process that uh, on the plant side regulates the size of plasmodesmata, and in fact, uh, the size of plasmodesmata between different cell types and also between different type of tissues is different. But what I'm trying to say that viruses remodel those plasmodesmata for their own needs. So viruses cause them to remodel the the filter type and the yeah. aperture, I guess, of the uh, plasmodesmata. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for example, viruses, some viruses remove some of the proteins, cellular proteins that are positioned there by interacting or degrading those. Uh, Viruses sometimes form some kind of tubules that they then insert inside of this plasmodesmata. And these tubules are kind of like uh, used as highways, also like a road paves. For, for the virus to go through. But you, it's quite, uh, you know, it's not probably all very well known, you know, to the very end how this occurs. But uh, for sure, what we know that viruses do many modifications, many remodeling 
uh, inside the you know infected cells. So not only with plasmodesmata, not only with membranous structures. Yes, so viruses remodel inside uh, the organelles. Viruses quite dramatically change the whole transcription profile. So they, for example, upregulate some genes, they downregulate some genes. So once a cell is infected by a virus, it's uh, it undergoes huge changes and uh, essentially many organelles already altered significantly. So how does this uh, citrus virus cause the death of the plant? Does it cause the cells to blow open or as it progresses, what does it do to the cells? With citrus tristeza virus, there are two major diseases. So one is called stampeding. And stampeding, essentially, virus, what virus does, and again, you know, when we talk about virus diseases, yes, and uh, specifically when we talk about diseases that are caused by citrus tristeza virus, we just need to remember that not every, so virus has uh, different variants, yes, different strains, different isolates, different variants, yes. So depending on the virus variant, yes, the disease could be very minimal uh, or disease could be essentially very severe and could even end uh, to the plant death. And also when we talk about citrus varieties, so not every variety would be similarly affected, similarly susceptible to the virus. So if we, so disease essentially occurs only in certain combination between virus variant and citrus variety. But so going back to these two major diseases, so stampeding is, um, occurs in, for example, uh, grapefruits and mandarins and sweet oranges. And what a virus does, essentially some of the virus variants, they induce formation of stampedes or grooves and this production. So essentially what they what the virus does, and again, alters the differentiation of the vascular tissue. So the xylem phloem, yes, in the um, tree doesn't produce already as it would normally produce, be produced. So these type of trees uh, show production of some kind of stems or grooves, and essentially they show lack of vigor and they grow pretty poorly, they produce uh, small fruit, and uh, eventually after some years, these essentially trees can even die. But the reason uh, for um, such disease, such phenotype is that virus alters expression of host genes, of plant genes, and it results into altered differentiation, tissue differentiation. So essentially the growth, so the tree already does not really grow normally because it doesn't really produce xylem and phloem in a normal way. So the Campbell activity of the tree also is disrupted very much, yes, by invaded virus. And so essentially it greatly affects uh, virus growth. So what are you trying to figure out in regards to the citrus virus? What's your focus? Well, uh, essentially, so the main practical goal is to find means uh, how to control this virus. And uh, for instance, uh, when we talk about this stampeding disease, there is no current cure 
against this disease. So, for example, if these uh, virus variants that are capable of inducing stampeding are present uh, in the citrus area, yes, so there is really no way because there is no really natural resistance in sweet oranges or grapefruits against this disease. So there is not much, there are no really means uh, to control this disease. So the only way to control stampeding disease uh, would be to use cross protection or uh, some sort of pre-immunization, yes? Uh, and pre-immunization, so what is cross protection? Essentially cross protection is um, an approach when uh, citrus trees get pre-immunized with mild isolates that of the virus that do not cause disease. And such pre-immunization of these trees, interestingly enough, protects these trees from becoming infected with aggressive isolates. And How does this protection occur? Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, you know, this is very interesting phenomenon. And of course, cross-protection could have many different mechanisms, yes, but one of the possible and probably most likely mechanism in case of citrus tristeza virus is the phenomenon uh, so-called superinfection exclusion. And superinfection exclusion is a phenomenon in, in which a primary virus infection protects secondary protects uh, the host against uh, secondary infection with the same or closely related virus. And this phenomenon is quite common. So it occurs in bacterial viruses, it occurs in different plant viruses, it occurs in animal and human viruses, including important pathogens of animals and humans and plants. Yes? It's like a dog guarding a bone. The first dog gets it and they go, ah, it doesn't like the other dog is getting near it, right? Yeah. In a way. In a way. In, yes, kind of probably in a way. Yes. So essentially, if a virus number one establishes infection in a cell or in a host, yes, then it does something, yes, that makes uh, this cell or plant now becoming unable. Uh, so so it, it actually prevents this cell or host from becoming infected with the secondary virus. So, for example, in, in case of animal viruses, many cases of superinfection exclusion occurs at the level of attachment and entry. So, for example, the first virus somehow downregulates cellular receptors, which uh, essentially make this cell resistant when essentially identical or very similar, very much related virus number two trying to get into the same cell. Yes, it cannot already get into the same cell because the uh, cellular receptors have been downregulated by the virus number one. Some viruses, uh, for example, regulate kind of uh, block secondary virus infection at the level of replication. So they prevent or block or downregulate the regulate the replication of the secondary virus. So, Although since the aphids, you know, again poke their way into the virus and, you know, through the wall, I guess the uh, you know, once they encounter the cytoplasm, it's a hostile environment somehow. They can't co opt and do what they need to do because there's another virus already there that stops them somehow. Kind of, yes. So essentially because plant cells they don't have receptors. 
uh, plant viruses, they uh, get in, inside the cells either by um, transmitting, if, uh, transmitting insects or through, for example, mechanical damage. They do not have attachment like in case of animal viruses, yes? So most of the cases of superinfection exclusion uh, in case of plant viruses, yes, uh, this protection against secondary virus infection would occur already inside the cell. So uh, if, for example, virus number two was, for example, brought, like you suggested, by an insect inside the cell, yes, it can be um, put there by uh, an insect, but it cannot replicate because the first virus would somehow prevent secondary virus from further multiplication. And essentially that would be kind of like the dead end for this virus number two. It actually, uh, how this protection works, we don't really know, you know, uh, but we have some uh, to the very end, but we have some ideas and we know that uh, some of the virus proteins, some of the virus factors actually participate in this um, process of blockage, uh, the secondary virus multiplication in the same cell. Interesting. So, Alana, I feel like I've been beating you up with tons of questions. I'm sorry. It's just, this is very new. What's the best way for people to, uh, to find out more about your research and get in touch? Where can they go? Um, they can just probably, if they, for example, just Google my name, they will be able, and if they go, for example, to Google Scholar, they will be able to uh, see my publications. Also, uh, I um, work at the Department of Plant Pathology at the University of Florida, so they can also, uh, by just finding this uh, website for the Plant Pathology Department, University of Florida, they can find the list of faculty, including me there, and they can just look further for what I do and what kind of publications uh, and what topics, uh, yes, and my publication. All right. Well, very good, Svetlana. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.